When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another Orange and Brown Talk Roundtable, where we're doing another draft. We're getting toward the end of this because we're kind of running out of things to draft. So we may have to come up with things to draft. I don't think we're going to draft left guards because I'm not sure that would be fun for anybody. So we've done quarterbacks. We've done non-quarterbacks. We've done receivers. And as part of Nick Chubb Bark Week, we're doing running backs today. I'm Doug Maurice with Scott Patsko, Mary Kay Cabot, and Ellis Williams. Dan Lobby off this week. So there's four of us around our roundtable. Instead of five, we're going to do four rounds. We're going to pick the 16 running backs that we would want for 2021. Who do you want? You're starting with Team X. Who's your guy? Ellis Williams is going first, then Scott Patsko, then me, then Mary Kay Cabot. We'll keep that order for all four rounds. And Mary Kay, we were sort of talking about this. You know, quarterbacks was kind of like, oh, where do you slot in? There's a lot of stuff. Receivers, it's like, you know, we're getting Julio Jones and with the 12th pick and stuff. Running back, it was a little more difficult to really differentiate some guys once you got to a to a, a point where it was like, man, there's a lot of guys who are the same here. Yes, absolutely. I, I found that as well. So it'll be interesting when we get to that last round, uh, what we're actually coming up with, because uh uh, like you said, you can lump a lot of them together once you get past the real elite running backs. Scott, the intention of all these things, right? We wanted to, we wanted to do a quarterback draft to learn where we think Baker Mayfield slots in. We wanted to do a receiver draft to learn where we think Odell Beckham slots in. Non-quarterbacks for Miles Garrett. Do you think we're going to learn something about Nick Chubb by forcing all of us to go through this exercise? Will we inform our dear listeners about Nick Chubb through this exercise? I'm confident that we will find out that we are able to argue about where Nick Chubb lands on this list. Cause I think with every ranking we do, there's arguments, but I think it is true that once you get past that first tier of guys, a lot of guys are the same and that's where contract comes into play. And the argument of how much should you pay a running back? Because so many are interchangeable is Nick Chubb in that group or is Nick Chubb higher in that group? And I think that's one of the things we'll, we'll find out here. Hopefully. Ellis, you said that before we started, this is going to turn into a conversation about running back value. Yeah, I, I, that's probably where this is headed. It, it it's feels like it has to go that way because as I'm looking at my list, you know, there's guys who either are injured, might be on different teams, yet they're in a nice spot on my list, right? So that all that says to me is that you like the individual talent, but it becomes positional value and that's that's been the conundrum with this position for probably the past five, if not creeping up on a decade now. All right. So let's get into it. Ellis Williams, you have the first pick because Mary Kay and I steamrolled you on the podcast the other day and didn't let you talk. So this is your <laughs> reward. I don't mean to love Mary Kay. Mostly I steamrolled you. Ellis, you get to go first. Who is your number one running back that you would want for 2021? 
Doug, it was all a part of my master plan to get the first overall pick, just to let you keep yapping. I, I know how to, I know how to get you and got to watch the tape, but I just was like, yeah, we'll just let him have this Orange and Brown Talk podcast because I needed the first overall pick because I do agree that there is a top tier. And if this were a fantasy draft, like where Mary Kay's sitting at number four, she probably has the best spot if this were fantasy football. I try to come at this like a roster builder, actual applicable football on a football field. And to me, there's really only one guy. You can make a case for another guy who has a similar skill set. But to me, there's only one guy who stands out above all the rest. That's just a pure mismatch creator, a guy who supersedes his position. He's a weapon. He's not a running back. Anyone who listens to the non uh, quarterback draft knows where I'm going with this. It's Saints playmaker Alvin Kamara. He's just different. And the Saints have exploited that since he arrived in, uh, I believe, 2017. Um, some fun facts about Alvin Kamara that are perhaps going to make you drift the other way on him, but that's not the point. It just speaks to his versatility and his overall use as a as a weapon uh, compared to a running back. No all pro teams because the NFL doesn't have a playmaker slot. So, you know, no all pro teams for Kamara. I thought that was a little surprising, but it makes sense when you unpack it. No thousand yard rushing seasons. He's come close a few times in the 900s plenty of all-purpose yards near 15, 16, 1700, stuff like that. And at 5'10", 215, it just in my mind, he plays like a guy who's six foot 225. For those reasons, Alvin Kamara goes first overall. Sean Payton has gotten the most out of him, but even when a guy like Drew Brees exits the lineup, he still found a way to catch 80-plus balls this year. He's never caught less than 81. Again, mismatch wherever you put him send him down the seam on a deep route, hand him the football. He scored five touchdowns in a playoff game this year. What, what more do you want me to say? Alvin Kamara, number one overall. In our draft of non-quarterbacks, Kamara was the first running back to go in that list. I believe also to Ellis. Uh, there are three running backs that in that non-quarterback draft we had, which was we were lumping in defensive ends, tight ends, receivers, running backs. We only picked three running backs in those 20. So we're going to gain a lot more information here. I'm not surprised Kamara went one. I had him one. Mary Kay, where did you have Alvin Kamara on your list? You know, I, I had him too. I understand, you know, what you guys uh, mean just in terms of the dual threat. Obviously, he had uh, in 2020, 932 yards rushing, 756 receiving. Uh, as Ellis mentioned, five TDs in a playoff game. He is different. He brings a different element, but I had him number two. Where'd you have him, Scott? I also had him number two. Uh, for all the reasons Mary Kay said, uh, most of the running backs on my list were kind of like that guys who can do multiple things because I mean, running back tight end linebacker safety you want guys who can stay on the field and give you matchup advantages um so that's why i i had kamara ranked so high i wrote a thing about nick chubb this week and i compared him to alvin kamara in certain ways but one of the ways i compared it is usage that alvin kamara only averaged like less than fewer than 19 touches per game last year Whereas there are some guys on this list who average 21, 22, 24, 25. And when you're talking about, you know, how you assess value, it's, is it a workhorse running back that you just ride him all day? That Kamara's not really that, right? So, but I think he's special enough that he's still, I mean, so he's two number one votes, two number two votes. He's a different kind of guy. I think this makes a lot of sense. Scott Patsko, you're up at number two. Well, for number two, I'm going to go with my number one guy who goes against everything I just said about versatility and uh you know wanting mismatches i had derrick henry number one um for consistency for durability he's had two straight seasons of over 300 carries maybe he falls apart uh in 2021 but 
He's uh, been good for a good amount of years now. He's always uh, highly ranked in, in PFF grade, always highly ranked in DYAR. And not just, he was first in DYAR, which is value, just overall value, whereas DVOA is like value per possession or per, per play. But basically his, high, his success rate was seventh, which means that while Nick Chubb was mixing long runs with getting stuff to the line of scrimmage, Henry mixes long runs with consistently getting the yards that he needs to get based on whatever down and distance they're in. So again, it's the consistency and the efficiency first and first downs and explosive runs, breakaway runs of more than 15 yards and first and enforced missed tackles. I mean, he just, he's a bulldozer. And I think he kind of sets himself apart, even though he's not as big of a deal in the passing game as some of the other guys on our list will be. I think he's so good at what he does that he deserves to be so highly ranked. I found those numbers that Scott likes to use. I found the website finally for like the fifth draft. I'm like, what are these Patsco numbers? So to your point that DYAR, he's first like overall value for that. But DVOA, he's ninth. Like per play, he's ninth. So Mary Kay, I am always a little apprehensive with Derek Henry about what part of him is just workhorseness that I don't want to diminish that as a skill. I mean, they rode him. He like 380 carries last year. But I don't know if you, if like the Titans would do that with their running back with multiple guys. And if you gave a lot of guys that many carries, they might also have over 2,000 yards. I had him fifth on my list, and that might be crazy low. Mary Kay, where'd you have Derrick Henry? I had him first. You know, I just uh, I put a lot of stock into, uh, you know, the fact that he led the NFL with 2,027 yards this year, that he won the rushing title last year, that he led with TDs. I always think TDs are – uh, a very big deal. He was PFF's number one guy uh, with a 92.4 grade. And uh, those are just some of the reasons why I had him there. The thing that I can't tell Ellis is I don't exactly know if Tennessee gives him the ball so much because Tennessee wants to give its number one running back the ball that much or whatever team Derrick Henry was on, that team would be like, oh my gosh, this guy is a bus. Give him the ball 26 times a game. Which way do you think it leans? Is it more their idea of how to run offense or that Derrick Henry is such a monster, anybody would give him the ball that much. Yeah. To answer that question, we really can just look at Tennessee's history while Derrick Henry's been on that team. You know, he came in there and was not the number one bell horse back right away. I remember him splitting carries with DeMarco Murray. Uh, Then they had what, like Deion Lewis there, and they were still trying to figure things out. And then really Mike Rabel and Arthur Smith now head coach in Atlanta completely earned that job realized that they needed to tailor and center this offense around Derrick Henry while also unlocking a quarterback in Ryan Tannehill that can pull the right levers and take advantage of the weapons they had outside. That's just a well-made offense, but there's two things that I think separate Derrick Henry and make him special in Tennessee and perhaps a reason why it would work anywhere. If you dedicate your offense to him, there's really only one other offense in the league that predicates their whole offensive system around one guy. And he'll probably be, get drafted soon here. Derrick Henry played behind an average offensive line this year. Uh, they had injuries and he still was able to produce. He is that type of production to me solidified Henry's spot as really the, a, a king in this league of, in terms of running backs, producing with the average offensive line doing so at a rate that really puts him in a tier of his own. And I'll end with this. 
I remember talking to you. We said it on, on Gotta Watch the Tape. Mary, <clears throat> Mary Kay was saying it all week. And then I had someone um, who I really respect in this league tell me the same thing that during the buildup for Browns Titans, you know, we were gearing up for this big running back battle, right? Like the Browns rushing attack versus Derrick Henry. And it ended up being a Baker Mayfield uh, throwing festival to Kevin Stefanski's liking. But in that buildup, I had multiple people say, including you guys on this podcast, say everything the Browns do with two running backs, Tennessee does with one in Derrick Henry. And to me, that answers the question. Like, that's the gap. He is clearly, like Scott said, maybe he falls off a cliff or maybe he just keeps going. This could be the one guy who just keeps going and he's doing the job of two backs with one guy in the backfield. It's extremely impressive. So where'd you have him, Ellis? Item two. Item two, right behind the guy I took number one and he lands at number two for me. All right, so I'm an outlier here. I do remember in the draft, he was in the same draft as Ezekiel Elliott. And I remember being at the combine and this idea sort of coalescing around like, Ezekiel, is Ezekiel Elliott going to go in the top five? Like at a time when people were like, even now, it's like running back in the top five. And I remember sort of thinking at the moment, like, are we sure he's better than Derrick Henry? That Derrick Henry then went in the second round of that draft. Derrick Henry's just so different. Like when you look at him, it's like, that's not what running backs look like. And he runs different and he is different. So the idea that he's different, Kamara's different, Henry's different. One, two makes a lot of sense. I'm probably having him too low at number five. And now I'm up, I'm up next and we got to take a break because we got to come back and do a thing right after this on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. All right, so you're trying Brown's Insider, right? You guys have gone to cleveland.com slash Browns. There's the blue banner. You click on that. You get all the inside info. Like it's free agency week. This is Mary Kay Cabot bomb week ahead. Like, get ready. If you've never done it, like, now do it. This is now. What, 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 are, you, what are you waiting for? This is even better than the season, I think. This is like Christmas, right? It's free agency. Then it's going to be the draft. If you are not a Browns insider, this is the time to test it out. Cleveland.com slash Browns. Go there. You click on the banner. You figure it out. It's cool. It's hard to explain sometimes to people, but it's cool. If you love the Browns, if you're hearing these words, you at least have to think about it because you care enough to listen to us do this. So you care enough to like get texts, get special premium stuff, uh, a special insider nugget that nobody else gets. Try it and make sure you're reading Cleveland.com slash Browns anyway. Stuff's about to blow up. I'm getting excited. I told Mary Kay when we did Hey Mary Kay. Sometimes these Mary Kay stories, when I see them come across, I get a little flutter. I think, oh, (laughs) what's she bringing? So I'm getting excited. And I'm also getting excited because I'm picking Nick Chubb. I had him second. And this is why we're doing this. Because honestly, great. Derek Henry, congratulations on being good. Alvin Kamara, great. You're a great player. This is a Browns podcast. Nobody actually cares about that. Where does Nick Chubb fit? Nick Chubb is first in next-gen stats in, uh, Scott, you got to help me here, R-Y-O-E slash A-T-T. That's rush yards over expected per attempt. That's important, right? He's first in football outsiders. No, he's second in DVOA, which is sort of like per play. And the guy who's first is J.K. Dobbins, who wasn't the main guy in Baltimore. So that's a little – some of these running back numbers, you can find guys in weird spots on statistical lists because it's like, well, he – he was like their third running back, right? Nick Chubb per touch. He only averaged 18.2 touches per game last year. I took out the Dallas game and did include that. So that's the 11 full games he played. It was 18.2 per touch. He is helped by the compliment of Kareem Hunt. We all know that there are some things 
Maybe not the greatest short yardage guy in the world. He's special. He's special. He's special. He's special. He's special. And I knew it. I wrote a whole thing this week about how he's special. You guys all know it. Everybody listening to this knows it. And then I researched this stuff for this, Mary Kay. And I realized he's more special than I even realized. (laughs) That every time he touches the ball, he's a threat. It's perfect symbiosis for this offense and the player. But I think you put this guy a lot of places. If you want to call me nuts for putting him in ahead of Derrick Henry, I can explain that a little bit more. But I, I felt... I think he is absolutely top three. I put him second. Mary Kay, where'd you have Nick Chubb? I actually had him fourth. Um, so, and, and soon you will find out why. Um, but, but I did have him fourth and I, I agree. I mean, he's special. He's one of the best runners of the football that, that I have seen. And if you guys have po- pointed out in some of the stories that you've done this week, uh, he does everything exceptionally well. And Scott, you, you had the uh, statistical look at that, uh, how uh, early in the week, how he does uh, most things better than almost anybody in the league. He almost led the NFL in rushing last year. Uh, this year, he had over a thousand despite missing four games. I mean, think about that. He, he would have, you know, really been up there in the whatever, 1400s, 12 TDs. Again, I'm, I'm big on uh, getting into the end zone. Short yardage is the only place where uh, he really, you know, isn't, doesn't excel necessarily. And then the other thing is he does need to pick it up a little bit in terms of his ability to catch the football. And I do think that it was, and he was even mad at himself for dropping back-to-back passes in the Kansas City game. So uh, that's why I knocked him back to number four, just uh, those two little areas uh, n- not being as much of a dual threat as you would like him to be, and then short yardage. Yeah, and I think that's smart. I'm the, I'm, I have a feeling who Mary Kay is going to pick, and you can make a strong argument that I'm taking Chubb too high. Ellis, where'd you have Chubb? I had Chubb fourth as well. And for reasons that Mary Kay laid out, for reasons we've addressed on Gotta Watch the Tape and during Bark Week, it really comes down to production with Nick Chubb and Browns fans are going to like what I have to say, though it may come off as a backhanded compliment, though it essentially is going to prolong Nick Chubb's career, which we've talked about on here. Chubb only has 14 games out of about the 50 he's played with 20 carries or more. Uh, I have a feeling someone is about to get drafted who had like 30 carries, you know, two or three times this year. It felt like if not more for whatever reason, he just isn't going to be the bell cow guy here in Cleveland like Derrick Henry or a guy who hasn't gone yet or other backs who have made a living just on being volume monsters. But that's a good thing. Like that, that will keep Nick Chubb's prime prolonged, but it drops him on this list because he isn't that back. He isn't being asked to do that. And when it comes to his true, his, his best traits on the field it really does come down to his home run hitting ability. I probably need to find a new stat because I've thrown this out in every place I can, but his 12 big runs, a stat, a number ESPN tracks in 12 games is just astonishing to me. And that top 10 of big run getters includes, I think it was two quarterbacks and all their teammates. I've written about that. And for Nick Chubb to be on that list in that top 10, of course, without having a, a quarterback tailored to his running game, speaks to how explosive he is. He's one of the few true consistent home runners 
hitters in this league. I really think there's only three of them at this position, but because of uh, him just not taking that whole workload on either because it's not best for him, it's by team choice or circumstance, whatever it is, he falls one notch below the guy who I is probably going next. All right, Patsco, you gave us this great Nick Chubb breakdown on got to watch the tape last week that showcased sort of what he does best. Where was he on your list? I had him fifth, which isn't where I originally had him, but I guess I just talked myself down a little bit after I looked more into the guys I have ahead of him. And look, everything I wrote about and everything we talked about, I got to watch the tape. I mean, it's all true. He's top five in explosive runs the last two seasons, top five in uh, avoided tackles last three seasons. Like Derrick Henry is the only guy who is so highly ranked in, in, in crucial categories, like things that you measure a running back by. Um, it's, it's him and Nick Chubb, but I put Nick Chubb a little lower, partly because of the fact that, like Ellis said, he, he is very like the passing game isn't as big of a deal with Nick Chubb. There is the boomer bust factor with him that some of the other guys on, on the, that I have ranked and that we'll be talking about are the same way, but maybe they offer you more in the passing game than Nick Chubb has uh, with the Browns and short yardage with Nick Chubb. Really it's more in the red zone, you know, third and one, third and two, he's, he's a good option, but in the red zone, it hasn't been that case. And I think that's, that's really a huge gap between him and Derrick Henry. Um, I mean, look, he's, there were five guys that I thought set themselves apart. He's clearly in that group, but I, I still have him at the bottom of it. By the end of this, I might talk myself out of that, but, but that's where I got him for now. All right. Let me ask, let me ask if this might help talk you out of it. Do you guys know where Nick Chubb ranked in the NFL in total carries in 2019, not last season, but the season before. It was like 298, right? Something like that. Do you know where that ranked in the league? Third. Probably. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He he had five fewer than Derrick Henry. And Derrick Henry averaged 5.1 yards per carry and Nick Chubb averaged five. Nick Chubb had the highest PFF grade in the league in 2019 for running backs while ranking third in the league in carries. So could he not be a workhorse or did they just not ask him to be a workhorse because they added Kareem Hunt and the Titans are running Derrick Henry into the ground. So uh, uh, based on last year, the workhorse argument is there. I, I think he has proven in his second year in the league, I think he proved he could be a workhorse. Now, I agree with Ellis, and it's a lot of what I wrote about. I like the Camara model for him, that Camara's 18 touches a game, let Chubb be 18 touches a game. I think you prolong everything. He's healthier in a fourth. He's better in a fourth quarter. He's better at the end of the year. He's better for his career. I don't want him to be Derrick Henry, but there's a difference between not using him like Derrick Henry and him not being able to be Derrick Henry if he was asked. And I think 2019 shows us that he could be that. So I will, I buy the, who do you want to hand it to on fourth and one on the goal line? to win the game. I would rather had it hand it to Derrick Henry than Nick Chubb. So that I will put that mark in Derrick, Derrick Henry's column, but like the workhorse argument, I think he could be a workhorse. The Browns are just too smart for it. Ellis, what do you think? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The 2019 thing is interesting. I probably just have week 17 stuck in my head when the Browns just refused to give him the ball. And we were all sitting in the press box, watching the rushing title slip away from him. <laughs> The rebuttal there would be, you know, one season proving that doesn't prove longevity, but there is a case to be made. And, you know, he didn't have that role at Georgia 
either. Right. And Georgia, you know, recycles backs all the time. So that again, I think he's just landing in circumstances to your point. So I'm, I'm really agreeing with you that he is not asked to do those things. I wonder with the short yard stuff, if it also is hand in hand with that just wouldn't be best for him either. Like he does need to come off the field in third and four and whatnot for past situations. And on short yards, like we said, fourth and one Scott's already on that corner that that's not Chubb's role. So perhaps your offense takes a step back. If you do ask him to be that lead back, if you end up in that scenario, but through and through, he has a skill set that is really one of one in this league. And though the workhorse conversation may hurt him for this draft, as we've said, and you wrote Doug, it prolongs his peak in Cleveland and his lack of workload in Georgia as well. We could be looking at Nick Chubb having a a longer prime at NFL running back average than we're used to. So Mary Kay, again, I hope these exercises are, are valuable for the listeners and for us. Did you find yourself maybe just reaffirming the special argument around Nick Chubb? Like, was this helpful that it's like, let's double check stats, let's double check comparisons, thinking, you know, like, okay, he's not a versatile pass catcher like a couple guys, right, could be. He's not maybe a short yardage monster like a couple guys could be. But he is super explosive. His yards per carry is great. He rates a lot highly in the stats. How did this just influence how you view Nick Chubb going through this exercise? Well, what it did for me was, and it's a discussion that I think we should have here and now because the time is right for it. He's due for a contract extension. So, you know, it made me really think about what would you want to do? What should you do with Nick Chubb? He's heading into the final year of his contract. You don't have the luxury with Nick Chubb like you do with Baker Mayfield and Denzel Ward of picking up a fifth-year option and then buying yourself some time to figure out then what you want to do, when you want to do it, and how you want to do it. Nick Chubb is heading into the final year of his rookie deal. So they do have some decisions to make. They will meet with his representatives, if they haven't already, uh, to kind of lay the groundwork of where they are going with this. They have some options. They can, this offseason, give him a big multi-year contract uh, like some of the other top running backs in the NFL have, or they could let him play out this year and franchise him after the year, which would give you Nick Chubb for two years at roughly six and a half million dollars a year. I don't think he would like that very much. And I'm not sure that the Browns would want to do business that way, but it is another option that they have. If you start looking at the contracts for the top running backs in the NFL, uh, as we know, some of them are very, very high. And usually when we compare uh, average, uh, when we compare salaries, you do it really in terms of the average per year. So we're looking at Christian McCaffrey, $16 million a year. Alvin Kamara, $15 million. Ezekiel Elliott, 15 David Johnson, 13 Dalvin Cook, 126 Derek Henry, 12.5, Joe Mixon, 12. These are the newer contracts that have happened and and the area that you would probably have to get to if Nick Chubb is going to agree to a multi-year deal. So I I mean, now's the time to to talk about it. I mean, you know, would you guys heading into uh, his fourth season sign him 
to one of these blockbuster running back deals, knowing that you also have Kareem Hunt, too, you have to factor that in, uh, you know, in double-digit millions. So Derrick Henry, also a second-round pick, played through the fourth year of his rookie deal and then going into his fifth year when it was like, we're going to franchise you, that's when they got the long-term contract done. So that is out there. And again, a lot of this, is this, it's the discussion that Mary Kay and I had around Baker Mayfield. It's like, well, I think it's going to happen. When's it going to happen? You don't know exactly. There is strategy to that on both sides. But, you know, and, and I wrote a thing. My I made a little formula that just, you know, I made it up that I got him in. I did it per touch and whatever. I got him in at 13 and a half million per year, basically, which would make him average salary, the fourth highest paid guy. And I did factor in a little bit workhorseness. It's like, okay, well, you know, I don't know. You're not, but Kamara is up there and Kamara has the same thing. So I got, there's a little pushback. There's a little bit of the running backs aren't worth that mob. Right. And they push back anytime a running back wants to be paid. Ezekiel Elliott is an argument for that. It was a lot of consternation in Dallas. They paid him and then he wasn't quite as good and how good. I just don't think that's a discussion. I mean, I just don't, uh, uh, that's the here, this player, this team, he's going to get paid. They have to keep him. They have to pay him. Scott, like, it, where are you on that idea? And Mary Kay is right. This is the time to do this discussion. Scott, where are you on paying Nick Chubb? I think it makes more sense for the Browns to be first or second in the league in running back salary than it does first or second in the league in wide receiver salary like they currently are. So I'm on board with paying Nick Chubb. I think I think we talked about it before about, you know, we say this guy's special, so he deserves the contract. And I come down on it as the situation is special. The fact that they do have Kareem Hunt here, the fact that they don't have to use him as the workhorse back uh, Nick Chubb. Um, that creates a really unique situation for them. And yeah, I guess, you know, you, you might end up overpaying based on usage rate, but again, you're trying to keep the situation intact. And with this offense, I think it, it means more than a lot of the offenses that are run in the NFL. It's it just, it makes sense to have money invested at running back here with this team, then especially more so than, you know, wide receiver. Ellis, where are you on that discussion? Yeah, I've been on the record of extending Nick Chubb, so I want to play devil's advocate just to see where it takes you guys, and perhaps I change my own mind slightly in this exercise. I want to build off what Mary Kay said about playing Nick Chubb out on his rookie deal, then having a franchise tag option, and then really being able to tag him twice. You know, So now we're talking about rookie year playing through that and two tags. Essentially, that second year on the tag would be probably – somewhere in the 10, 11 million range. I agree with Mary Kay. That is a tough way to do business. A, a, probably a bad look and something Nick Chubb would have zero interest in. Just look at running back holdouts throughout this league. Uh, just dating back to last year before Derrick Henry and, and the Titans got that done. Uh, there, there's stuff in the, in the collective bargaining agreement that really make, makes holding out impossible to do now ever since we had the Le'Veon Bell and Melvin Gordon incidences. So speaking of Melvin Gordon, I think it's important to note that in these situations, I think the Browns need to be very conscious about betting against themselves here. Like if Nick Chubb hit the open market, what really is his value? I don't think we have a way of knowing that right now, just because things change year to year, but looking at his, the history of this league and running backs that do hit the market, Melvin Gordon signed last year with the Denver Broncos at 
two years, 16 million. You know, that's only eight per year. There's a guy on this list that we're going to get to, but I think we can bring him up now just because of he's on the market. Packers running back Aaron Jones. I think that's going to be an interesting point when his name is called in this draft and then go look at the free agent market. And it's like, what team's going to bid for this guy? I, I have a lot of friends in Green Bay in the Wisconsin area. I'm a huge fan of Aaron Jones. I love the way he plays. I think he's a really talented football player. But what's going to be his market? So for those reasons, I think the Browns should tread lightly, even though they're probably just not going to be able to. Like this is going to end up with Nick Chubb getting an extension. But those things, at least that I named, the option of tagging him twice, the the appeal of keeping his number at like – I don't know. That would almost be like what 14 million over three years. If you play him out and then tag him twice. And then just the concern of betting against yourself. I think that's a, that's a real lingering issue when it comes to the Browns and their free agents that they're dealing with right now. So I want to ask Mary Kay this question about Nick Chubb. He's so nice. He wouldn't hold out. That's naive, (laughs) right? It's like, he's so nice. That's part of why he won him. Everybody loves him. He works hard. He's humble. He's nice. He's not going to hold out. That's silly. Obviously they have to, they have to, we're going to have to get down to business with this. Right. I mean, do you think Mary Kay, we're not trying to, you know, we're not trying to throw rocks in the lake just to make ripples for the heck of it. It's possible. Could this possibly get contentious a little bit as they try to navigate this because running back contracts are difficult. Well, I don't think that, that Andrew Barry will let that happen. I think uh, what they will and should do is, try to work a, a creative deal for a running back. That's what I think that they should do because the truth of the matter is they could have him for six and a half million dollars over the next two years. They could keep him for that if they wanted to with, you know, like you said, he could hold out and, and those things, but uh, th- that is the lever, a little bit of the leverage that they have. What I would try to do is a creative deal. And they did a creative deal with Kareem Hunt where they built in plenty of incentives into the deal uh, where you had some protection for the club and you had uh, incentives for the player to make a bunch of money, depending on, on what they can accomplish and what they can achieve. We all know from analytics and from history and everything else that the older, the older running back gets uh, their, their, their production is going to decline. And that's just the truth of the matter. Now, Nick Chubb is still only, he's, he's only going to be 25. Uh, throughout this whole entire year. So he has a ways to go uh, before he kind of starts to decline or fall off that cliff a little bit, the way that, that running backs do. And it's a position that, that seems to decline earlier than some others uh, because of the wear and tear on the body, of course. So I would say that I would head into this and I would try to do a creative incentive laden deal with enough guaranteed money up front or guaranteed money throughout the deal uh, that that the player can feel really good about it and that the team is also not financially strapping itself once you get into those later years and you just know that the running back probably isn't going to be as productive. Now, I think that having Kareem Hunt keeps some wear and tear off of Nick Chubb's legs and extend, you know, extends his life a little bit. So I think that helps. Um, but I still think uh, that they need to go to the table in good faith uh, with a really super creative deal uh, that can make everybody happy. And I think there is such a thing. I think it's, it, I think you can do it. 
And, and I want to end with the point uh, one more time that Scott raised that if you are a Browns fan who is just pushing back against running back contracts because it's the thing to do in the NFL, I completely agree, Scott, with what you said. The Browns should lead the league in running back payments. I mean, like with what they are, right? That That's an important part of this, that you, you, you zeroed in on not just the player, but the situation. This is, even if it's anti the rest of the league, right? I, I think this is where the Browns should be spending money. Yeah, and I, you know, we look at the contract guys like, like Austin Hooper got last year. And I think we, we ended the season wondering, wow, did he live up to that? And they used a lot of tight ends and maybe they overpaid a little more, but there's value in that position for the Browns because they know they're going to have a lot of tight ends and they need tight ends to do different things. They need talent there. And running back, I think, is even more so because so much is built on Nick Chubb. I mean, look what happened with the Browns offense when he was out along with Wyatt Teller. I, I was going to say it too. <laughs> you didn't even have- <laughs> I always have to slip that in, but, but still, you know, it was obviously striking uh, how this team looked different uh, during those games. So you pay, you pay your running backs. If you're the Browns, we, we don't know if Andrew Barry feels that way, but just, it just seems logical. And looking at the money that uh, Beckham and Landry are paying. And I, I don't see that being sustainable. I see running back money being more sustainable for this team, even if, Nick Chubb signs to a big contract and he doesn't, you know, live it out here. It's still worth investing in that position because it just means so much to how this offense works. All right. Let me ask one more thing about how football works. Mary Kay, the idea of like, listen, Odell's going to be here. Odell's making a big number in the 2021 season. If he stays, you keep Chubb, you don't do the contract yet. And then for 2022, Odell leaves and you give Odell's money to Nick Chubb. Like, is that, I mean, it's not that simple, but could it, is that kind of, how, yeah. how you move the pieces around? Yes. And the other thing to consider here, too, is that the the salary cap is at, you know, it's, it's at a low point of one hundred and eighty two point five million dollars this year. It was supposed to be two ten. So you really are uh, really trying to dole out your dollars very judiciously this year, whereas next year. Uh, I really think it's going to go up a ton uh, because the TV contracts are are supposedly go- going to be astronomical. Uh, and you're just not going to have uh, probably the COVID shortfalls that you had this year. So I think next year you're going to have way more money to play with and dole out. And it would almost behoove Nick to also wait until next year. So if they all you know talk it through and know that's kind of the plan, then you don't get the hard feelings and all that sort of stuff. So I, I would say that, that that's another really smart way to approach it. Just to, to detour briefly, for everybody who's suffered through so much with the Browns, are we possibly talking about the idea that right now when COVID is knocking the cap down and it's a bloodbath and lots of good teams are losing lots of good players and the Browns have more cap space than anybody and they're not having to get rid of anybody they like for financial reasons, they can take advantage of all these good players they're going to be out there, get them for a cheap price, and then next year when all their young guys are due for their extensions, the cap's going to explode and they're going to be able to fit everybody they want under the cap comfortably. Right. Is that what we're talking about? Mary yeah. Kay, the next two years. Yeah, that's the strategy. And that that's another you know, these are other reasons to really seriously consider holding off on some of these things that you can hold off on, uh, including Baker, potentially even Denzel, although although Denzel won't necessarily break the bank the way that, that Baker will when he resign when he signs his extension. But yes, that is another argument for 
kind of holding off until the financial situation is way better next offseason. All right. So just real quick to end on this, and I didn't mean to throw that detour in there. Ellis, when the Browns win the Super Bowl, more likely MVP, Baker or Nick Chubb? Oh, man, Doug, you're doing that to me. It's all coming together. It's all fitting together. All the pieces are fitting together. All right, so that's why we did it. Running backs four through 16, I don't care. That's it. Thanks for joining us on the roundtable. The only reason was to draft Nick Chubb. That's not true because there's. I'm curious if we get to the other guy. We're drafting the 16 best running backs in the NFL for 2021. We're on to pick four. 40 minutes into the podcast. This is what happens when I host instead of Dan. Dan, we need you back. (laughs) Mary Kay, how are you ending the first round here in our running back draft? Well, I do think it was important that we had that. uh, Once we got to Nick, we had to talk about the contract, right? We couldn't have waited until we got to number 16. So I think we, I think we handled that the right way there. That's what people want to know. They want to know about Nick, but we still have some important things to discuss because I think there are, three running backs left on the board that actually uh, stack right up there with Nick Chubb. And so, you know, I I wouldn't have been completely 100% shocked if he went somewhere in these next few, because there are some pretty darn good running backs still on the list, especially if you consider two that were injured last year. So I'm going to go with the next one that I think is pretty obvious here. And I'm sure you guys, I'm thinking that you guys will probably agree with choosing Dalvin Cook of the Vikings here at number four for many obvious reasons. Second in the NFL with 1,557 yards. Second was 16 TDs. PFF had him as their number three. Uh, He had 756 of those yards came after contact. He had 46 runs of 10 yards or more. And Uh, The thing that I really like about him a lot is uh, the fact that he can catch the ball for you out of the backfield. In his last three seasons, he's had 40, 53, and 44 receptions. Doesn't catch a lot of touchdown passes, uh, but he can catch the ball really, really well. I don't know why they don't throw it to him more in the red zone. Um, The one knock against him is, is that he fumbled five times last year. Now, he carried the ball a ton, and obviously the fumbles are going to go up with the touches, but I still think that's too many fumbles, but nevertheless, Dalvin cook, number four. I had him third on my list, Scott. And then we got to clear the deck for the Minnesota talk from Ellis. Scott, you go next on (laughs) Dalvin cook. Yeah. I had him fourth. Um, You know, he's a guy who, again, when you were looking at all these stats where Nick Chubb and Derek Henry are, are kind of neck and neck uh, for the last few years, Dalvin cook is also right there uh, in much of that. So, I, I mean, he's, he was one of the guys who I knew right away was going to be in the top five easily. It was just like, where do you slot him? And yeah, fourth seemed, seemed like a good spot. He, everything Nick Chubb did last year in Kevin Stefanski's offense, Dalvin Cook did it first in 2019. And so, Scott, that means you had Cook one spot ahead of Chubb. I did. And I'm going to guess that Ellis had Dalvin Cook ahead of Chubb as well. I did, and I also had him third. Go ahead. It's Minnesota guy. Go ahead. Oh, it's my time. It's your time now. We're we're clearing out. We're shutting it down for five minutes. (laughs) Perfect. Dalvin Cook. The only thing really that you can knock Dalvin on is his availability injury stuff. He played 14 games in 2019, 11 in 2018, but that didn't stop Minnesota from paying him. Uh, He, he was in line for that extension and there really wasn't much argument about it. I, I think again, 
these running backs land in spots that circumstance matters so much. And Mike Zimmer being the old school type of guy he is, was not going to let the focal point of his offense leave despite having a quarterback that makes the fourth most out of any player in football, uh, despite having Adam Thielen at the time, Stefan Diggs, they have weapons, but they were like, Nope, we need Delvin cook. We need to give him the ball. And for good reason, when you watch Delvin's tape, there isn't a running back that excels right like him. He is zero to a hundred faster than anyone. He gets the edge better than any back in football. He he's just as, as elusive as a guy like Nick Chubb. I think Nick Chubb uses more of his frame to get off blockers like he's got that one step cut and then because of his size he isn't brought down cook is just you're missing you're 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 tackling ghosts or holograms out there he's a better option in the passing game i think he catches the ball more smoothly uh than nick chubb and even derrick henry at times but really aside from putting alvin Kamara in that one of one class that i do uh maybe based on just putting him on that pedestal i think when we're talking best pure running backs in football the list in no particular order is derrick henry dalvin cook and nick chubb and for the sake of this exercise we did put him in a particular order and this is where we've landed all right alvin Kamara, derrick henry nick chubb dalvin cook they're our top four we're going to the second round ellis it's you first pick of the second round number five who you got all right um like mary Kay said still a lot of good names on this list and it's really just best available you got to go saquon barkley uh, rookie year, 1,300 rushing yards, 91 catches, uh, 2,000 scrimmage yards that year. He had a fine sophomore year and then, of course, an early ACL tear. Uh, playing on a Giants team that, much like Odell Beckham Jr. was dealing with, just relies on a young, talented, freakish talent. That's all the Giants had in Saquon. He's just different. Uh, coming out of the draft, talks that he was like the best pro- offensive prospect ever. Uh, his quads are the size of my waistline. The guy's a, a freak. And due to the way the draft falls, he lands here. And I have Alvin and Saquon now, but you could make a case for Saquon going in the first round. He, he's that different. I, I My scouting ability uh, as a football observer is often questioned and rightly so. I will say when Ohio state played Penn state, whatever year it was. And I was like, who is that guy? And it was when Saquon Barkley was a freshman and it was like, I do, you do not see guys like that in the big 10 all that much. And then he was that and more second pick in the draft. When we did the non quarterback draft, the three running backs who were taken in the non quarterback draft by us were Kamara, Henry and Saquon Barkley, Mary Kay, you took Saquon Barkley at the end of that. I, it feels like there's still more out there for him. If he wasn't injured, do you think Mary Kay, he would have gone in the first round instead of here at five. Uh, he might have. Yeah, he might have. I mean, I have to wonder if we would not have had him ahead of Nick Chubb if he wasn't injured uh, for some of the obvious reasons. I mean, he uh, he also is excellent at catching the ball out of the backfield, so much so that he caught 91 passes for 720 yards as a rookie. He caught 52 passes uh, for 438 yards as a sophomore. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, that's something that you, that you have to take into account. Extremely productive in those ways. So, so that was um, 2,028 scrimmage yards as, as a rookie, which was incredible. Yeah. Last year, he had 1,441 yards in only 13 games. So 
that's pretty incredible. So yeah, he had over a thousand yards rushing last year in just 13 games. So yes, I, I think that there is a chance that we would have had him a little higher if not for the torn ACL. Where did you have him Mary Kay on your individual list? I had him at five and again, probably because of the injury. And again, actually, Mary Kay, what you're referencing is 2019 when he played 13 games. He only played two games last year. Right. That's what I mean. You said, yeah. So I thought that's what I said. Two two games the last time we saw him, which is hard. I had him sixth overall on my list. Ellis, where'd you have him actually on your list? Fifth. Fifth. And Scott, where'd you have him on your list? I had him seventh. I remember when, but before the draft 2018, we all traveled to the combine. And uh, that was the year that, you know, we were all focused on quarterbacks the Browns and we were all doing profiles on different quarterbacks and Barkley was the one non-quarterback we were there to talk about and I mean he was seen as as a potential number one pick people were talking about that for a while so and as a rookie he obviously proved that and I do agree that if he had played a full season last year he's probably higher I mean a couple guys who were injured most of last season it was like all right well where do we put them uh how do we think they're going to be coming back off of that so so I mean, let's do that. Seventh. You could you could talk me into fifth, but I had him seven. No, I think we have him in that same range. Couple, fifth, sixth, seventh. We're all in that same range on him. And again, I think if he's healthy, maybe he's he's first round. Scott, pick number six. Who you got? Christian McCaffrey. Who's the other guy in this scenario? Correct. Um, I actually put him third, which is probably higher than everybody else here, I'm guessing. But again, I I just put a little more value in his ability to do so many things. I mean, a thousand rushing yards, a thousand passing yards. I think that's kind of special. He does have boomer bust tendencies like Chubb, but he, obviously he's a huge part of their passing game. He Christian McCaffrey is what everybody dreamed Duke Johnson could become, you know, when he was with the Browns, that's the kind of player that, that, that people had pipe dreams about with, with Duke. Well, um, well, that's, that's not a normal dream. That's like a dream when you eat something a little goofy and you have that dream. That is not just right. straight up. I fell asleep and had that dream. That was like, Oh, I dreamt that Duke Johnson was Christian McCaffrey, man. What did you give hey, me last night? When the Browns were bad, you know, 2016, 2017 and Duke Johnson's catching 50 passes, 70 passes, setting records for the Browns. You know, you hear people saying, give him the ball more, you know, Give the ball to Duke Johnson. Look what he can do. And Duke Johnson obviously isn't that player. Christian McCaffrey, though, is. And, yeah, I put him third because I think he's he's just uh, – he can do things a lot of other guys can't. I had him fourth. But, Ellis, part of this that, that was hard for me is that I, – I, I didn't pay super attention to it, but it's like he got hurt last year for Carolina, and Carolina plugged in Mike Davis. And it felt like there were people in Carolina saying, like, oh, they're fine, which is hard with running backs, which is like, okay, well, just because your backup's good – and, you know, other parts of your offense work. Does that mean you're not good? I think, I mean, this guy's resume is deeper than some of these other guys. I think he, he definitely would, have, would be higher if he wasn't hurt. But Ellis, did we learn something while he was hurt that maybe the Panthers survived without him and that it affects how we view him? Well, that's the concern, right? Is he a good player on a bad team, stat-stuffing in a sense that he no running back could carry that Panthers organization to a division win. Like if you plug him in on the saints, is he just a a Camara 2.0? And because you have the infrastructure and the machine that is Sean Payton in the New Orleans saints, is he going one in this draft instead of wherever we're at six or seven? 
I would say this. There's two things that concern me. The second one may not be all that concerning because of who's involved, but we'll get to that in a second. The first one is in 2019, according to Football Insiders, his VOA uh, value over average was 12th. And I don't have a real way to explain that. Like Alvin, for example, in comparison, Alvin Kamara finished first this year. That makes more sense to me. Like how do the Saints com- replace Alvin Kamara? You don't. You bring up Mike Davis in Carolina. They found a way to do that. Is that telling that that probably is what I'm alluding to. The second thing would be this. There's, there were reports, I think probably a week or two ago of the Panthers being interested in Deshaun Watson and that are a, a offer was made or is being considered for like three first round picks and Christian McCaffrey for Deshaun Watson. I get it. It's Deshaun Watson. You do anything to get him. But if he were this all world difference maker of a football player, I don't know if the organization would be willing to cough up him plus three first. It it makes me a little skittish there. So between the the value over average that I can't figure out and the team's willingness just to pass on him on top of what you brought up Doug there just seems to be some wonder there aside from what the eye test tells you that Christian McCaffrey is incredible and where'd you have Mellis I had him at six where'd you have Mary Kay you know what I I also had him at six but I'll tell you what I really feel like that's too low the only reason why I had him there is is because he was coming off the injury and with these guys, sometimes it is kind of out of sight, out of mind. If we had watched Christian McCaffrey do what he does all year long, the way that we did in the previous couple of seasons, I think we probably, some of us might have had him higher. When you think about it, not only is he a thousand yard rusher most, most years when he's healthy, but he's also a 1000 yard receiver. Okay. In 2018 and 2019, he had over, 100 receptions in each of those years. Isn't that mind boggling? Isn't it? I mean, when you yeah. think about it, not only that, uh, he's catching touchdown passes, which I always put a big premium on scoring the football. So in 2018, he had six touchdown catches. In 2019, he had another four touchdown catch- catches. And as a rookie, he had five. So he's catching the ball. He's He's like two players in one. You've got a thousand yard receiver and a 1000 yard rusher all in wrapped up in one player. So I would have had him higher. I would have had him ahead of Nick Chubb because once again, I think there is a premium on the dual threat ability, especially in today's game. And he's phenomenal. And I think Kamara McCaffrey and Barkley are the three top tier dual threat guys, right? That if you're thinking that way, You can make an argument for all of them ahead of Chubb because Chubb just doesn't bring you that, right? I don't know that there's any, maybe there's somebody else I'm missing, but those are the three guys that stand out that they will kill you as pass catchers. And that matters. I mean, like, of course. So, I mean, if somebody wants to argue, no, I'd take McCaffrey or Barkley ahead of Chubb. That's where your argument would go there. Mm -hmm. I'm next at number seven. This is like kind of where my line is. This was my top six got picked. A little bit different order, but I thought this was a clear top six, and I'm actually going to not go by my own list with my next pick here because this is where I start to get uncertain. So I'm going to go with the guy who I actually had as my second best guy on the board, but he would have been in the top group without dispute a year ago, and it's Ezekiel Elliott. And I just – he had a weird year. Dak got hurt. 
but he exploded onto the scene. I mean, he was a dominant game changing running back and he wasn't that last year, but he has been that in the league. So compared to everybody else that I'm a little less sure about, I actually had him eighth on my list, but I will pick him seventh here. Ezekiel Elliott for me, Mary Kay, what do you think of Zeke here? Where'd you have him? You know what? I had Zeke a little bit lower because I kind of forgot about him a little bit for some reason. I had him at 10 and um, but but I think he I think this is a good pick here. I, I really do. And I, I think we will see that going forward. He's certainly paid like it. Uh, he's right up there at number three at 15 million dollars a year. Uh, so, yeah, I think this is a good spot for him. Although it's hard, Ellis, he's like the cautionary tale of why you shouldn't pay running backs. So maybe I picked him too high. I don't know. Where'd you have him, Ellis? Right. So I had him seven. I am glad I didn't have to make the pick. This is the exact example of are you drafting or paying for prior production compared to what he's going to do in 2021, sort of how we set this draft up, right? I just have his fantasy point stat here for you guys. Um, With Dak Prescott on the field, Zeke's giving you 22.6 fantasy points per game. That's third. I know this is a real football conversation, but it does uh, give you an understanding of just how valuable at that position he is without Dak, just 12 points per game, almost half the production, 26. In 2019, um, he had the best yards above replacement, according to Football Outsiders, and then this year that just completely falls off. Is it a product of no Dak, an offensive line aging, and just a – weird year in Dallas he had COVID at one point his fumbles were a mess his mind was probably never really in it and does he bounce back to form this year I would probably bet on the ladder there but that's the, that's the line that's the line have we seen the best days of Ezekiel Elliott Dallas can't afford to say no there and he jumped in as a rookie and went nuts behind a great offensive line he got put in a great situation and as you said the situation around him has changed a little bit where'd you have him Scott I had him sixth so this is right around where where he showed up on my list. I, again, uh, I'm glad uh, Ellis pointed out the the yards above replacement there. I, I think that's – and the success rate was fourth also in 2019. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he gets the job done. And, I mean, you can talk about contract, but I do think he will perform better once uh, Prescott is back under center for sure. I think this this was a miserable year for him in every possible way. It was important to mention, Ellis, the COVID, the fact that he got COVID. I think it's going to take a while for us to understand that, and I think we'll look back five or ten years from now and look at the athletes who got COVID and how it affected their season, if it affected their careers. Hopefully not, but we still don't understand it, and I still we don't still know how to talk about it. It's like, oh, he had COVID. It's like, yeah, he had COVID. And it's like, oh, yeah. he wasn't as good as he used to be? When he had a virus attacking his lungs, oh, yeah, he wasn't as good as he was. And it might take him a year to get back to himself. I still, that's an important point, Ellis, that you made. All right, pick eight. Mary Kay, you're up. All right, I'm going off the reservation here a little bit, uh, but I, I actually feel uh, pretty good about it. And you guys are probably going to give me some pushback here. But I'm going with Kareem Hunt at number eight. Now, we just talked about dual threat running backs, didn't we? We talked about a top tier group of of running backs that can do it all for you. The Christian McCaffrey's, the Dalvin Cooks, the Saquon Barkley, the Alvin Kamara kind of guys. Well, guess what? Kareem Hunt is one of those guys. Now, he doesn't get the touches that he normally would because he has to share the field with Nick Chubb. Still, he started only five games last year. 
He still rushed for 841 yards in only five starts. Uh, he rushed for six touchdowns. He's, he's really good on the goal line. He also caught five touchdown passes and he caught for 304 yards. I think there's way more there. I think he can do a lot more than that. I think they underused him, underutilized him in a lot of situations. And I really wasn't quite sure why. I would use him way more in the passing game. He, he scores the football, okay? I think he could have had a couple more rushing touchdowns, a couple more receiving touchdowns. If I were starting a football team, he would be somebody that I would look at to be my number one running back. I think when, if given the opportunity that he can give you what some of these other top running backs can give you, and he, he won't be able to here because of course, like I said, he has to share the load, but if he didn't have to share the load, I think you'd see still outstanding production from him. So I want to uh, ding, ding, ding. This is the other conversation we were waiting for. Mary Kay, when you say they should use him more, do you want him on the field with Nick Chubb? Where, yeah. Which they didn't really do that last year. Or are you saying that, that they should use Nick Chubb less and have Kareem Hunt on the field more often as the only tailback? I would for sure use the two of them more often together. And I believe they probably will do that next year. I don't know why they didn't do it more. We all expected that they would. I think you can... Uh, create a lot of mismatches that way. I think you confuse can confuse the hell out of defenses that way. I think you can, you know, put them both in the backfield and then then motion one out and uh, you can split one. I mean, you can do so many things with these two guys on the field together. And if you're not going to be getting quite as much production out of your tight ends that maybe you thought you were, uh, or or maybe even your receivers in some cases. I would definitely do more of that, throw them on the field together more and, and have at it. So Scott, we talked about this on a got to watch the tape a couple of weeks ago. I think it was the tight end screen to David and Joku against Kansas city. And it was like, what if they threw that to Kareem hunt? Where do you think of Mary Kay saying this specific point, more of them together? Yeah. If you're going to have them on the field together, it's, it's to use one of them the way you've used some of your tight ends uh, last season. And I think Kareem hunt, maybe works in that role a little better because of his pass catching ability, especially if you want to split him out wide, but, you know, having them both in the backfield and having one uh, move up to the line uh, in a back position, it, it, it makes a lot of sense because you're right. It, Njoku gained 27 yards on that screen pass, but you know, if that's Nick Chubb catching that, that's could be a touchdown. And the, uh, the, the trade-off there of course is how fresh these guys are in the fourth quarter. And I think we're all probably of the belief that they did benefit from that with some of the, uh, the big runs, explosive runs that the Browns had in the fourth quarter of games that, that helped kind of seal it. You know, you have Dick Chubb coming back out on the field for a key drive in the fourth quarter. And, you know, he, he's only got, you know, 12 carries, 13 carries at this point, as opposed to, you know, 22, 23 carries or whatever the case is. So that helps. It's, it's the trade-off. You got to figure what, what matters more, what can we get more out of? Where's the, you know, line of diminishing returns with that. Scott, where did you have Hunt on your list? I had him ninth. Uh, I thought he should be in the top 10. We spent all season talking about how the Browns have, you know, the best two back attack in the league. And I think that's because they have two top 10 running backs. And looking at some of the guys, you know, some of the other guys I had kind of just jotted down as I was making my list, I, 
you know, it's, it's hard to put any of these guys below Hunt above him. I think the versatility matters. He was third in yards uh, in DYAR among running backs in receiving last season. Kamara was first. So again, his ability to do more than just run the ball matters. And near the goal line, getting tough yards, he's the guy that you want to give the ball to. And I think some of his success, obviously, was because of Nick Chubb. But at the same time, we saw Kareem Hunt do all this on, on his own when he was with the Chiefs. So, you know, he was special before he got here. Mary Kay, when you mentioned the idea of you would like to see them more on the field together, do you think that's like an evolution of like, hey, Kevin Stefanski got here. They had a weird offseason. They're trying to get ready. They didn't maybe figure that out. But when Kevin Stefanski had a list of his how the offense can improve in 2021, finding more ways to have Hunt and Chubb on the field together is somewhere on that list. I would think so. If it's not, it's got to be. And I think that, uh, that they, they absolutely will arrive at that conclusion and figure out ways to do that. And you could see uh, there were times even, you know, especially in the playoffs. I mean, Kareem Hunt was running with his hair on fire, right? I mean, you need more of that energy. I thought that they actually really waited too long to use him in that AFC divisional playoff game. I mean, they needed to take advantage of the fact that that he wanted revenge on that team, that that was an emotional football game for him. And I, I just did not see uh, him being used the way that I thought he should have been in that game. I thought that they would have gotten uh, just way more production offensively had they done that. And, um, and, and once again, he just has so much to prove in general. He also has incentives, as I mentioned before. It's an incentive-laden deal. And that really does keep a guy's legs moving along. Uh, and uh, also, I really do think that, um, that it's, it's just a great way. If you want to run, if you want to marry the run and the pass, what better way to do it than to have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt on, on the football field at the same time? I mean, there are so many ways that you can go with that. So much more that they can do. And I hope that, that they spend a whole lot of time this offseason trying to figure out how to take advantage of those two guys and the magic that they can create with all the different things that they can do. So where did you actually have Kareem on your list, Mary Kay? Did you have him eighth? He got picked eighth here. Yeah, I had him eighth. You had yep. him eighth. Okay. Scott had him ninth. I had him 12th. Ellis, where did you have Kareem Hunt? I had him 10th. So I think Mary Kay started this by saying like, hey, maybe I'm going to get pushback on this. Mary Kay, there's no pushback here. Ellis, like there's, is there anything to push back on here, Ellis, of, of Kareem Hunt as a top 10 back in the league? No, you're not going to find any Kareem Hunt slander from me. I love that we're expanding on the idea of those two sharing a backfield, that being Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Uh, I think Kevin Stefanski is proving to be a coach of habit and repetition. The only reason I can really see, unless it just doesn't happen at all this year, but if we're going to say why it didn't happen in 2020, it probably just because they weren't ready for it. It wasn't repped. It's stuff you can in a normal, hopefully more normal off season, you can start scheming up and then getting on the field in August and practicing. It's on a list of the things I want to see this offense do. I'd love to see what this offense looks like with a tier one tight end. I have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt listed down here, more of a deep drop back game, seam routes. It's on the list of how this offense can explode. And you don't get that expansion without Kareem Hunt, a guy who I call the best bargain in football. 
the Browns locking him up last offseason probably is an underrated <clears throat> national story around the league. I mean, aside from a guy like Lamar Jackson, who's still playing on his rookie deal, I don't know how you get a guy who is this important to an offense, this versatile, scores double-digit touchdowns routinely. Uh, his rookie year, I believe he had like nine, second year 14, and then this year 11, uh, led the team in receiving touchdowns at running back. I think they're just scratching the surface with Kareem Hunt, and I'd I think he's a top five goal line runner. That's another thing we need to point out in between 10 yard, 10 yards and in, you're not all that worried about cream hunt finding the end zone. Mm-hmm. All right. So I had him the lowest eight, nine, 10 and 12. I, I had like that top tier. I just thought he's clearly in the second tier. So it's like, you're moving guys around a little bit. So, I mean, we're in agreement here. The Browns have two of the best 10, 11 running backs in the league. And, and I, I would like to hear the person who comes in and says, Oh, I had a 19. You know, I was like, what is, what is that case? So we're not making it here. All right, Dan, I'm sorry. We're more than an hour in. We're eight picks in. We're going to come back. We're going to finish this up. A little bit of a lightning round here at the end because we did the things that we intended to do here. We put Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in the context of the best running backs in the NFL. That's what this exercise is all about. We'll do picks number nine through 16 much quicker right after this on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. All right, back with pick nine in our running back draft, Ellis Williams. Who is it? All right, for me, it's Jonathan Taylor, uh, rookie last year. And this is sort of the line where it's like, do you take Zeke in all the production or do you bet on on future value? Uh, Jonathan Taylor from weeks 10 to 17, averaged 20 carries a game, 123 yards and one rushing touchdown that included performances of 150 yards and 253 yards rushing in two different games. Uh, in week nine, he got like seven carries. So he just wasn't a part of the offense. The Colts figured that out, plugged him in. I think he's going to be a name to know at the position for years to come. I don't think he's the best rookie running back. Um, uh, I watched a lot of Jonathan Taylor in his career at Wisconsin. I think this is a little high for him, but that's okay. okay. Scott, who do you got number 10? Uh, go with Eric Jones. He was eighth on my list. Um, I had him up just above Kareem Hunt, just his consistency. Um, top 10 in PFF grade last couple of years. He was fourth in DYAR, good success rate. He's out there trying to get paid this offseason. I also had him above Kareem Hunt. Ellis, who did you have higher, Aaron Jones or Kareem Hunt? I had Kareem Hunt one spot higher. And Mary Kay, how did you have Kareem Hunt and Aaron Jones? I had Aaron Jones at 11. I think that's an interesting pivot point. I think there's, that's an interesting discussion there because that to me is right at the point of where I started thinking about Kareem Hunt. It's like, all right, as soon as you're past like the guaranteed sure thing, no doubt about it, number one running back that can change a game, now you're into the Kareem Hunt discussion. And, and Aaron Jones to me was a slight bit below that top level, which is why I think Kareem Hunt and Aaron Jones, we could, you know, if we were doing a Green Bay podcast, we could do that all day. Mm-hmm. All right. Jonathan Taylor, nine, Aaron Jones, 10. And part of the other reason we can go rapid fire is because like, I don't know. Which is the guy we talked about. I was like, I don't know. Why did I pick this guy? I don't know. Cause I had to pick somebody. <laughs> so I'm going to pick a guy. I, I don't know. I think he's the number one back on his team. There's no doubt about that. How good is he? Is he special? I don't know if he's special. I'll take Josh Jacobs. Is he special? I mean, he's the number one guy, right? Ellis, but. I don't have a great reason why I'm taking him and why I don't have him 15th. We're at that point in this draft. Right. This is where running back value comes in second contracts. I'd be surprised if he's a guy who finds a second contract in, in Las Vegas, much like how Aaron Jones is not looking for a contract. Uh, He's a volume monster. And that's 
kind of where it ends. Like I'd like to see his yards per carry go up and, and whatnot there, but you, you can't go wrong with him in this spot. And that to me, Mary Kay, and now I'm breaking my rule about rapid fire is a little bit why it adds to the Nick Chubb conversation because we're, we're still Josh Jacobs was just the 11th pick in our draft. Mm-hmm. And we're like, I don't know. He seems pretty good. Like Nick Chubb is significantly above that. And if you live in the world of interchangeable running backs, you live in this world and it's, this world is fine. But I don't think this world is preferable to the pay Nick Chubb world, right? The Browns have answers. So pay your answers. Don't throw yourself into every four years we're looking for a running back because you can just slide him in and out. Josh Jacobs, to me, is almost like the perfect example of why to pay Nick Chubb. Yeah, you know what? I mean, again, uh, uh, the case can be made. The the absolute case can be made. It's just – you have to remember that you're dealing with an analytics heavy front office and they go by those numbers and they uh, they're running a business and they will do what's right for them and what's right for the player. But they're they're not going to go they're not going to go crazy on, on a contract, I don't think, for a running back and, and put themselves in a in a bad situation. All right, Mary Kay, you're up with pick 12. All right. I'm going to go with, uh, once again, probably uh, just going a little, maybe a little bit high uh, for what you guys might have, but um, I'm going to go with JK Dobbins here. Uh, Once again, I think we're in that spot where, um, where you, we can pick five, six guys at at these spots and and make a case for them. Uh, But six yard average, 805 yards, nine TDs, which again, I, I think is important. Uh, can catch the ball out of the backfield, didn't catch it all that much. But um, I, there's just something I, I really like about him. I have no problem with that. I had him 10th. I had him ahead of Jonathan Taylor. I had and him 10th too. We can spend a little more time on him because he's an Ohio State guy. I mean, I looking back, I, I didn't quite get it when the Chiefs uh, – I didn't know a lot about Clyde Edwards-Alaire, but I didn't know why, why he was the guy. J.K. Dobbins is a better football player and a better running back than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who was the number one running back taken in the draft last year. J.K. Dobbins fell to the second round. Scott, you have J.K. 10th. The other thing here for me is, does every running back in Baltimore increase his production because Lamar Jackson is such a threat in the run game? It's like, all right, well, however good you are as a running back, you're the second best runner on the field every snap, and that helps you. But, Scott, you did have J.K. 10th just like me. Yeah, I mean, I looked at the yards per carry average. I looked at – he had a good success rate, and, that, and you're right. They, they do have a lot going on in the running game there, and he's not the biggest part of it. Um, but I thought he was very efficient, and, you know, like we've said here repeatedly, once you get down to this area, you're, like, kind of splitting hairs a little bit on trying to differentiate guys, and just his efficiency kind of stood out to me. And they are sort of moving aside some of the other guys there to make J.K. Dobbins, I think, the running back at Baltimore. Ellis – we know your thoughts about Lamar Jackson. You were kind of nodding along there. How, do you think a decent amount of any Baltimore running backs production is a function of Lamar Jackson? Yeah, for me, I got to push back here. I think J.K. Dobbins in a vacuum is a really good running back, but this is the Lamar Jackson effect. Um, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, both inside ESPN's big run metric inside that top 10, which I think is a complete Lamar Jackson effect. And then if we go back and look at 2019, uh, we see Mark Ingram, second in DVOA, second in uh, yards over replacement, third, excuse me, and then second over uh, average replacement. We weren't going to take Mark Ingram in this draft. We wouldn't have taken Mark Ingram last year if we were doing this draft. To me, that is all an effect of Lamar Jackson. 
I think there's a Lamar Jackson effect for sure. I think JK is a good running back for sure. I think it is hard to zero in on exactly what is what, but it's good for Baltimore. And like, I think Baltimore will be a better offense if they give the ball to JK Dobbins more in 2021, which they are going to do. We're going to the last round pick number 13. It's you Ellis. All right. I am surprised he's still here, but because of the year he had, it's, it's not all that shocking. I was flirting with taking him with my pick in the last round. And the fact he's still here, I'm ecstatic about it. Give me Joe Mixon. He passes the eye test in every way, shape, and form. Uh, he started last year out as just a volume monster, uh, a check down machine for a guy like Joe Burrow and just a guy getting t- like 20 carries a game. Also uh, weaning in the, the, the rookie quarterback. It, that's an atrocious offensive line. And then he got hurt and 2020 became forgettable for him. Like a lot of players in this league last year. His skill set, his eye test, it all passes, and I think he bounces back, assuming that Cincinnati addresses offensive line a few times in the 2021 draft. Makes sense. I think, I mean, he's, Mary Kay, you read that list off the top of highly paid guys. He's up with the highly paid guys. I'm just going to throw it in here. I have a hard time evaluating Joe Mixon and stuff like this because I remember the video at Oklahoma. And, like, I, that's not a football video. That's a video of him punching a woman in the face in a restaurant. And – I can't look at Joe Mixon's name and not have that pop as the first thing that pops into my head. And when I evaluate him as a football player, I think that matters because I don't think I'd want him on my team. And I'm not saying that. I, now, listen, Kareem Hunt has a thing, too. He doesn't have that. It's not that. Right. And we have to be able to differentiate levels of stuff. I'm not sure. I wouldn't want to give Joe Mixon that money. And right. I get people get second chances and stuff. That's fine. I'm not saying he should be kicked out of the league or anything. I don't want to take him. So but I think he makes sense at this spot in the muck in this muck of I don't know who else to take. Scott, you're up at pick 14. All right, I don't know if this is a curveball or not, but I'm going to go with uh, Chargers running back Austin Eckler. He's not the runner a lot of the guys are on this on this list as far as production goes, but as somebody who can create a matchup in the passing game, he's your guy. <laughs> uh, he, he had the second-best PFF uh, receiving grade among all positions uh, behind only George Kittle last – not this past season, but the year before. And he just, you know – he only played 10 games last season, I think, or he didn't play every game last season. I know he got hurt, but again, if you're looking for somebody who's a little versatile and can kind of help you get mismatches and that's what, you know, you're looking for on offense. I think he's a good pick. I'm excited to see who Mary Kay uh, finishes up here with. Cause I, I have an idea. I know, I know a guy she likes. I'm curious to see if she goes there. I have no idea who to pick, which is the point. We're still in the top half of running backs and we are at the guys who their teams don't want anymore. I'm going to pick a guy whose team doesn't want him. I'm taking Chris Carson, who like the Seahawks just let go. I guess he's good. I don't know. He was a workhorse for a little bit. And then the Seahawks were like eminently replaceable. Be on your way. And he's the 15th best running back in the NFL. Sign Nick Chubb. Right. (laughs) So that's, that's all. I don't even know, like maybe David Montgomery. I don't know. I mean, but that's where we are. We're here. So I don't know. Chris Carson, anyone have Chris Carson thoughts? Anybody? I'll just, I'll just say this. I completely agree on Chris Carson. I'd much rather, and not much rather, I would only want to draft Chris Carson. I would never want to pay Chris Carson as a GM. I think it's that simple. That is a great line in the sand. That is a great (laughs) line in the sand. Draft him, not pay him. That is a great way to distinguish this. There might be like six payable guys at this position in the whole league, which is why we get the pushback whenever you want to pay him. It just so happens, again, the Browns have a payable guy. All right, Mary Kay, I'm going to guess in my own head, I'm locking it in, who I think you're picking here with this last pick. I can't imagine I can't imagine who you think I would pick here, which is kind of interesting. But former uh, Brown, former Brown. 
Oh, former, former Brown. Oh, former Brown. Okay. Um, actually, the person that I was about to just pick, now I'm worried that I missed him and that we already took him. So did we, is Antonio Gibson still available? Oh, still Great there. pick. Great pick. Go okay. for it. Washington's Antonio Gibson, 795 yards. He averaged 4.7 yards, which is really good. Uh, he rushed for 11 touchdowns. So um, out of the guys that are left, I, uh, I like him. I think he's actually tied for 11th pro football focus. So great production. Uh, and if you're going here at number 16, I've got Gibson. Sixth in DVOA last year, Scott. Did you have Antonio Gibson in your range, Scott? I did not. I did not have him in the top 16. I had Chris Carson 16th. <laughs> uh, Josh Jacobs 15th, but I did not have uh, Gibson or Gibbons on my list. All right. We got people who got to go live their lives. Here's the person I thought you <laughs> might take, Mary Kay. Yeah. Another, another injury guy, a guy who was number one in DVOA in 2019 and has played for the Browns along with 19 other NFL teams. And I thought you were going to take Raheem Mostert. Oh, good one. Yes. Very good one. Because you I, like I, him, right? You like him. You think he's good. Yeah, I, I think. Well, I, I often make the point with him that you can find a Raheem Mostert and put him in a really great situation and get a lot of production out of him. So when I when I bring him up, I do like him, uh, but he's also sort of my poster person, my poster player for you don't necessarily maybe need to go out and pay a running back $16 million a year. If you are making that argument, he is a good, he's a great example to use, right, Ellis? He's the perfect example. And as we're going through this exercise, like it's so unfair to Raheem Mostert, a guy who ran for like 200 plus yards in an NFC championship game just two years ago. And now it's like, yeah, he's an afterthought, but Mary Kay's right. And really this conversation has made me realize aside from the top six guys that are just difference makers, any young person listening to this, why would you want to play running back? It's like making it in the NBA or as a rapper, it, very few and far between find those glory days and those, those big time paydays. And you're just replaceable at the end of the day. What, what a tough way to end this one, man. Cause Moster's <laughs> a great football player. He's a great football player, but Mary Kay's right. You guys are right. And he lives in Westlake, Ohio, right by and you, Ellis. Probably going to see him out around Crocker here soon after yeah. this podcast. If you see him at Barnes and Noble, say we only mean good things. We only mean good things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the point. I think you like you get about six, seven deep, really good players, and then from like eight, nine, ten to like fifty, it's like, are you sure? Year to year, game to game, like, are you sure this guy's better than the other? Our finalist: Alvin Kamara, Derek Henry, Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook. Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, Ezekiel Elliott, Kareem Hunt, Jonathan Taylor, Aaron Jones, Josh Jacobs, J.K. Dobbins, Joe Mixon, Austin Eckler, Chris Carson, Antonio Gibson. That's our running back draft. We'll have to figure out what the draft next. But then you know what I figured out? There's an actual draft coming. So we can have an actual mock draft. So we'll do that at some point. We'll figure out other stuff to do. We appreciate you guys being with us on the Orange and Brown Talk Roundtable next week. Roundtable mania. We are going to be dealing with what's happened in free agency. Who are the Browns signing? Who are the guys that are on the move? We're going to do roundtables every day that there's something to talk about because we want everybody chiming in. So get ready for that starting Monday. Sign up for Browns Insider right now. Get Mary Kay Cabot in your phone and in your life. 
get everybody chiming in with instant analysis. Scott, Ellis, Dan, instant analysis about what's going on next week. Go to cleveland.com slash Browns. Sign up for our Browns Insider. Thanks so much for listening to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We'll get Dan back next week. For Scott, Ellis, and Mary Kay, I'm Doug. Catch you later. Talk about the Browns.